The following is a member of the Burke Reviews podcast family. BurkeReviews.com Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm Jonathan Burke, and with me as always, Corey Starr. So, Corey, how you been? <laughs> it's been a rough week, but it's the weekend. Ah, I've had a good week. I think Bill is taking you for sushi tomorrow. Oh, that sounds like fun. Um, yeah, I still can't use chopsticks. <laughs> that's a shame. I think I'm going to get sushi later this week, in fact. Um, I'm on spring break. Nice. Like, real spring break. Corey's on spring break, too, but she still has to work. <laughs> yeah. I get the luxury of being a teacher and actually having spring break. Although I will be watching lots of movies um, this week for uh, hopefully some of the Florida Film Festival uh, critic screenings. And then I will be getting caught up with stuff I've missed from the theater, um, which I'm getting close to being caught up. But there's a few things came out this weekend that I will be get uh, checking out for sure. Uh, for today's episode, we're going to be reviewing the film Ordinary People from 1980. Uh, which was the 1981 Best Picture winner. And it's Corey's first viewing and my second. Um, although, I have to admit, I didn't remember as much of it as I thought I did, even though I only watched it a few years ago. Um, but before we do that, we'll get caught up a little bit with how things have been, and more importantly, what we've been watching lately. Um, so, Corey, you said it's been a rough week. Anything you want to get off your chest? I think I'm just too sensitive for the world sometimes, and it has had me thinking about I do not feel at home in this world anymore, because <laughs> she gets kind of fed up with everybody, and that's kind of how I'm feeling, <laughs> but not at all. Well, I get that. Um, there are definitely times where I don't feel um, as thrilled about something, so, um, I, you know, I've had a pretty good week, though. It was my first, I was off the previous week, because I was at South by Southwest, and so this is my, uh, you know, I was back with my students this week, and um, I had a pretty easy week because they were finishing a film study, and then uh, we're starting spring break this week, so the week was kind of just winding down and getting everybody, you know, shifting gears and getting ready for spring break. And nice. Yeah, it's been a pretty good week, and I actually, I went to uh, an old high school friend's house that I haven't seen for a good, probably seven or eight years tonight. Um, my daughter and I went for like a little taco bonfire party. Um, so that was cool seeing some, a friend, you know, um, apparently this year is like my year of reconnection as I've reunited, (laughs) you know, I ran into my, my friend, uh, from Dallas that came down to South by Southwest. And then my friend from Clearwater who happened to be in Austin the week that I was there. And then, uh, out of nowhere, I received the invite for this party, and I originally wasn't going to go because we were supposed to record two episodes tonight. Um, but since that one episode got moved to a different time, I was like, well, you know what? Maybe I will go to this. I haven't seen her in a long time, and I haven't met her new boyfriend, and I have uh, I found out she has a pet pig. Yes! Um, yeah, which, of course, Kathy's going to be very upset when she finds out that I was hanging out with a pig. Um, I, I need yeah. you to know, I live in the middle of a neighborhood, uh, you know, in this town that pretends to be a city and i have an hod like uh, sorry not an hod a homeowners association and i really want chickens oh in my backyard and i also want to keep bees did you say peas bees oh you want to keep bees okay honey bees yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. 
but you know. <laughs> Not allowed. So I can understand. I don't know. I need to look more definitely into the bees because that's what I'm most interested in. Bill and I have um, talked about doing that for a pretty good amount of time. But um, chickens, I love chickens, but they poop everywhere. So that's my, uh, you know. But I understand why she would want a pig because they're well, great. I have a friend who is a beekeeper. Um, a co- he was a coworker turned friend. Um, and he, I used to buy honey from him all the time. Oh, so he, nice. I, I don't know, like it probably wouldn't be easy to teach you how to do it from a distance, but that dude knows what he's doing. So, um, nice. well, I guess, uh, that said, why don't we talk about what you've been watching this week? Not a lot. Um, just this and I'm forgetting what I watched over the weekend is a problem or actually we already talked about it on movie club. Yeah. Cause we recorded late this week. Yeah, um, so all that I've watched is this, and then the short film oh. Monday. It wasn't a short film, it's a feature film, but... Oh, I thought it's a short. <laughs> no, it's it a 60 a minute. Short. Nope. 45 minutes and over is classified by the Academy as a feature. Oh, okay, sorry, my bad, sorry. No he did do a short with the same name, but um, she's referring oh. to a film that we're going to be uh, discuss- talking to the director... Um, and I'm not sure exactly how much I can say, but he is a contestant on the um, Rebel Without a Crew, the Robert Rodriguez TV series that started Ooh. on, I believe, the 19th. Um, it is a reality show where they pulled several filmmakers and they're competing uh, to make a film with $7,000 and no crew, like Robert Rodriguez's El Mariachi. Um, and based, its name of the show is based on Robert Rodriguez's book, which is basically his diary of making El Mariachi. And... Um, we're going to be talking to him soon. Uh, the film's not available to see yet to the public, but it was it did debut at South by Southwest. Um, and the show is on now, so you can actually follow along and see how Alejandro uh, does. Um, that is going to be on our show soon. But Hold Corey on. and I were... Go ahead. Oh, okay. Maybe I shouldn't ask this. So You can I ask it. I probably don't know an answer. Okay, I didn't know if this film is the one that he makes on the show. Yes, it is the one he makes on the show. Um, that okay. we're allowed, and we're allowed like the reviews allowed and everything like that. The, the film's been seen. What we don't know, and I don't think he knows yet, is um, who wins, or if I don't even know if there is a winner to be honest. But I think my understanding of how the show works is kind of like those other reality competition shows. Um, I do know that there's things he can't talk about in the recording process uh, because those are like plot points on the show. Because okay. it is a show, like, you know, they're going to have certain moments and things like that, like things that'll happen that are going to be on the show later that's going to add drama, that kind of stuff. He can't talk about that. Um, but we can talk about how he got on the show and the movie itself to some degree because, you know, he wrote the script and all that. But okay. But he's a cool guy. I've, I've actually, I spoke to him uh, the other day and I'm looking forward to having a little more formal interview. Um, but I guess since you didn't watch a whole lot... I will talk real quick on the things I saw. I think I already mentioned Thoroughbreds because I went the day that we recorded. Um, very li- very much like that movie. Highly recommend. Um, I watched a documentary screener from South by Southwest called Los San- Sandinistas. I'm probably mispronouncing that because it's Spanish. Um, it's That's probably what it is. Um, it is a uh, movie about Nicaragua and the um, 
the women, particularly, who helped the uh, revolution in the late 70s, um, and then after they started the revolution and they, they were successful in the 80s, and then how our government came in and kind of fought against them, and it wasn't specifically just women that were in the revolutionary, but it, the documentary focuses on the women who were a part of the revolution, um, and then how despite being a vital part of them winning the uh, the initial resistance um the women's rights were still shunned a lot in nicaragua and it's very it's a very compelling documentary it gets very very interesting later on too in the film um i saw a wrinkle in time which despite many people hating i actually found to be pretty good not not great and i would say there's a lot of problems with story but i was really impressed with the performance especially from the lead storm reed and the message the movie conveys about self-confidence that I, I thought was very powerful. Um, I saw Tomb Raider, which was yeah. not bad for a video game movie, but not great. There's uh, there's some really good action sequences, but I feel like the first half is much stronger than the second half. She's such a good actress. She's I great. I don't understand. No, it, it's much better than Michael Fassbender's Assassin's Creed. Um, well, we know who's carrying that relationship now. I'm just kidding. Oh, are they together? They're married. Oh, I had no idea. Wow, that's a weird yeah. coincidence. Um, she's like, yeah, you made a video game movie? I'll make a video game movie. <laughs> and mine's going to be better. And hers is better. Hers is by far oh, better. Um, still has flaws, but much better. Uh, I saw Pacific Rim Uprising last night. And my review for all of these are already up on com. But I will say Pacific Rim, I had a blast with. But I am a sucker for robots fighting giant monsters. Um, I was a fan for the... So you the, loved all the transformer movies no and see that's the thing it's not the transformer part that i don't love it's the michael bayness of those movies that i don't love um it's they're erratic they you hardly can see what's going on there's the robots are racist like you know what i mean like they they take on these racial stereotypes that don't make any sense like in the fourth movie there was a uh i can't remember i think it's ken watanabe was the actor he's an asian actor and michael bay put him in a samurai robot and that is just one of many examples that we can pull that the transformer movies are flawed not because of the transformers i like the idea of transformers the execution has been bad and i'm not going to say pacific rim uprising is like a miraculous movie but it does exactly what i think it should do and it delivers robot fighting in a big way that i found to be very fun and john boyega is awesome so i was happy um, that said, I don't think I've ever seen my daughter look more bored during a movie. Oh, no! Um, I, at, during, like, there's, like, big robot fights happening, and I, like, look over, and she's, like, almost has her head on the armrest. Like, she is, like... I, I was totally envisioning her, like, slouched into the chair with her, like, mm -hmm. cheek resting in a hand. That's, that's exactly it. You've nailed yes. it. That is the look. And I, like, I've seen a lot of movies with her, and I've never seen her look that... And she she's even the best. she's so nice though because at the end I was like, um, you didn't really like it. She's like, no, it was okay. I'm like, no, I've never seen you look more bored. And she kind of like conceded at that point, but yeah, she was trying to be nice about it, like because I did drag her to it because Kathy had to work late last night and I was just like, I don't really want to leave you home, so just come to the movie. We'll go to dinner and then come to the movie with me. Um, and I am trying to train her that you got to give things a chance. Like now she knows Pacific Rim's not for her apparently. <laughs> That's great. It does work for me, though. And then um, I, I knew I was going to this taco bonfire thing, and I had put off watching Ordinary People until today, and then I realized my conflict. So I ended up watching an hour of it last night before I went to bed. 
and then an hour this morning before work. So I, I you know, I don't usually split my movies, I but I, know. I did that. To, I did that for this I, one partly because I'd seen it before. So I thought I could pull it off and I, I did, but um, I don't know how people watch things in the morning because when I'm watching a movie, I'm like chilling. And well, if it's that soon after I wake up, you know what I mean? I mean, I was at work. Um, cause oh, like I, cause I get to work. Well, I get to work an hour and a half before my students get there. So I use that hour. I had it on while I was like, you know, messing with paperwork and stuff. But again, I was mainly watching the movie. I'm caught up because it's spring break week. So I, they had some assignments turned in today, but I had nothing to do today because they were all ready. So I, I had time. I do teach film too. So I mean, kind of a loophole there, but, um, but yeah, I think that's a good uh, point to transition to our review of Ordinary People. And uh, if you're a new listener to Burke Reviews Movie Club, um, what we do here is we just kind of give a general review of the movie, and then we'll give a spoiler warning, and then we will talk about whatever we want freely. And so at that point, if you don't want the movie to be spoiled, you will want to pause this episode, go and rent the movie or watch it, um, and then come back and listen to all the craziness that we will say after the fact. Um, before we get into our review, I like to go through the tale of the tape, so to speak. Ordinary People from 1980. It won the Best Picture in 1981, which is why we're watching it this month. That's our theme for the month. We are watching Best Picture winners that one or both of us have not seen. Uh, this one was Corey's pick. She had not seen it. Um, the movie stars Donald Sutherland, Mary Tyler Moore, Judd Hirsch, Timothy Hutton, uh, M. Emmett Walsh, which is kind of a stretch to say he stars in it. He's not in it that much. Um... Hold on, I gotta click on this. Elizabeth McGo- uh, McGovern and uh, Dinah Manoff, I think, are the the main stars. There's some friends in there, but I don't think they're in the movie enough to figure out who's who. Uh, and the big thing with this one, this film is directed by Robert Redford, who was obviously a star in his own right. Um, I don't know. I'm looking to see if this is his directorial debut, because it seems like it could. It is. It is his directorial debut. So he wins Best Picture for his directorial debut, which is. Impressive. Where do you go from there? <laughs> oh, well, you start Sundance. <laughs> no, yeah, kidding. you do start Sundance. Well, you also make you a river runs through it. Uh, quiz show, the oh, horse dang. whisperer. Um, we are not talking about the horse whisperer nope. right now on this episode. I am not a fan of horse movies, as I've said on a few episodes of the podcast before. Um, although I will see Lean on Pete because it's a twenty four, and I love a twenty four. Oh yes. Um. But yeah, so I. I have an interesting connection with this movie, Corey. I don't know if you know, but I wrote uh, a screenplay about five years ago. Um, and I, I wrote my first screenplay, and so far my only complete screenplay, um, although I've started several since then, um, using Blake Snyder's Save the Cat formula, uh, as I, I didn't know what I was doing, so it was a good starting point. Um, and one of the things that he recommends is that you pick one of his ten archetypes. And there that's a, basically his take on genres and um i had a few that i was interested in and uh when you do that you're supposed to watch movies of the same archetype and kind of look for the patterns in the in the structure of the story and this was a film that matched what i was looking for in my screenplay and so i never heard of it and i but i i bought it and watched it uh because of that so that's why i saw it i was watching it for research for my own script um and I did write the script, and I did uh, I made a sh- I wrote a feature length script, but then I I chopped it up and made it into a short film with my students that year. Um, 
And so I, I haven't seen this film since then, but um, I thought I remembered more of it than I did. I, I remembered major moments, but I didn't remember it uh, in necessarily the order or the structure of the film. So I was I was very excited to kind of rewatch this. Um, but enough about me, Corey. What did you think of Ordinary People? Okay, so first of all, I think there is some cosmic rule that a movie must be at least two hours long to win Best Picture. Ah, it does and, seem that way. And then I think that this movie showed me everything that I would want to fight against uh, being if I were to ever become a mother. Thank oh. you. So and did you did it. you like the movie? <laughs> um, so this is pretty funny. So in my interpersonal relation, nope, interpersonal communication class, we are actually working on a paper, and my uh, project partner and I were we both like to watch movies, so we're going to do that as like some of our research for what we're writing our paper on. And this movie actually came up for like dysfunctional relationships. Uh huh. And. Um, I, I liked the movie. I thought it was a well-done movie, but she said that, oh, yeah, I saw Ordinary People a long time ago. It's not an easy watch. And I don't think that um, it's not, like, an uneasy watch like so many, or, an, an, yeah, uneasy, whatever, uh, like some other films might be. But I just think that this one, like, makes, it made me mad and, like, frustrated. And I know mm -hmm. that's the way I was supposed to feel. But Definitely. I can agree. I don't know if, or when I would be able to rewatch this again, because I don't often, I don't know. I have to say, I, I agree with that, except my mm -hmm. second watching, or my second viewing, um, I feel like I want to watch it again um, already. Mm -hmm. I, and part of it is as a teacher, um, because I think there's so much good stuff in this movie, and yet there are, there are like, little, what I think are errors, but they they fit with the characters like there's a part um it's not this isn't a spoiler per se but the main character is talking um what's his name my uh uh starts with a c conrad is talking to the uh judd hirsch played therapist um dr Berger, and he goes to say the line and he says something like he's supposed to say like my mom doesn't like this or something like that but he screws up and he says like but I don't, my mom doesn't like this. And you're like, he, he like stutters. Like, it's clearly a mistake in the dialogue read, but it feels like somebody who's emotional just like making a, a natural, mistake. Exactly. Yeah, like a natural but, reaction. Now, yeah. it's it's possible that it was written that way, but it seems more likely he, he mumbled the words and just caught it and corrected himself in the moment and they decided to leave it in, which is great because I, I do feel like... It, it works like it, it totally he's distraught he's upset he's he's angry and i know when i'm angry i will i just messed up i said watch it like when i my second watching instead of my second viewing you know like we do that when we're flustered or when we're frustrated maybe sometimes just because we're scatterbrained and talk. yeah and i don't know that we normally would write that way in a script but if it happens and you're able to go you know stay with it and not break your concentration um, I think it adds some realism to the film, and that's what I think this film accomplishes very w well, is this realistic characters going through realistic problems. Um, I've And the one... There's some debatable things, I think, about Judd Hirsch's performance as Dr. Berger, because there's some of the ways and, like, tactics in, that he uh, 
handles being the doctor of Conrad, uh, I don't know if they would work in real life. Um, or he's even got... be professionally acceptable. Exactly. Yeah. Like he would, like, would he have a lawsuit about him? Um, and yet at the same time, I do like that character, mm-hmm. but I don't know that it's like, I don't know. Cause he's very stoic and like, he doesn't express a lot of emotion, which kind of makes sense as a therapist. Cause you are supposed to be kind of impartial. And I've, to be fair, I've never sat in a actual therapy session. Um, and it may not be like, he may not be, um, like a full psychiatrist. You know, he might be a counselor. Like they don't really specify. I do think they call him Dr. Burger. So that implies that he has a PhD. Well, more than implies that it, it outright states that he has a PhD. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know for sure, but that that's, again, I like the character, but it didn't, like, this time around, I was thinking, like, is it a good performance, or is he just kind of, you know, going through the motions? Um, it feels like a good performance, but I could also see it interpreted differently, and that's why I was kind of weighing that back and forth uh, after watching it the second time. Mm-hmm. But, um, I also, I really, I, I've... I like Donald Sutherland. I've seen a lot of stuff with him in it. Like, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers from the 70s, I really love a lot. And his performance oh, yeah. is really great. Um, and then he's uh, President Snow in the Hunger Game movies. Um, I would say he's one of the better parts of the Hunger Game movies. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's not saying a whole lot, but it, he, I still think he's one of the stronger components of those films. And then... Um, Mary Tyler Moore, I don't know about you, but I grew up with Nick at Night. Like, Nick at Night was, like, a regular staple in my house. And mm-hmm. so I watched reruns of the Mary Tyler Moore show. I and, saw some clip. I wasn't ever interested in watching it. Yeah, you well, know, like... My mom, I think, was a big fan, so it was on, and I, I'd watch... Yeah, you know, I watched a lot of those old sitcoms. The Donna Reed Show, My Two Dads, um... Or it isn't maybe it's not my two dads, my three sons. That's what I was thinking of. My two dads was later. My three sons, um, and the, you know things like that. And I, I know I caught some Mary Tyler Moore, Dick Van Dyke, and um, seeing her in this role because I only really know her from the Mary Tyler Moore show, but seeing her in this role was so surprising to me both both yeah. times. Um, and we won't say why yet. And that's the thing. Like I do want. I didn't read the plot synopsis, and I do think I should because I'm kind of curious myself as to how much they tell you. Um, I tell you a lot. The accidental death of the older son of an affluent family deeply strains the relationships among the bitter mother, the good-natured father, and the guilt-ridden younger son. So they give a lot away in the the plot synopsis on IMDb. Um, it does have an 87 on Metacritic uh, out of only 12 reviews, though, um, because again, it is from 1980, and then a 7.8 IMDb user score. Um, and I gotta say, I think this movie holds up pretty well uh, for a 1980s film. Um, I think that's because it was all rich people. <laughs> like, mm. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. don't feel like we had too much of that 80s fashion. or And also it was early 80s. So, I mean, it, we're just coming out of the 70s. Well, but even like it's very universal. I think the things that, yeah. that everyone's going through uh, mm-hmm. still apply to, to, to today's world. And that's why I think like even the, the moments with the psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever work really well. Because I think those was... are problems that we still are experiencing. They're not gone. Um, and of no, course that's... I thought you meant like because I know how much you love the '80s and everything. Yeah. Well, no, them. for sure. I, I, but you know, I still love like Breakfast Club, despite the '80s 
uh, clothing and like uh, sixty. I actually prefer. I think, I think out of the John Hughes teenage high school movies, I think I like Sixteen Candles. The no, maybe Pretty in Pink the most. Um, Pretty in Pink. Oh my God! If Ducky ever sang <laughs> Otis to me, I would just but, bury him on the spot. So yeah, I don't like that actor though. Um, I think that I'll, he's a d bag, but yeah. I love him in that movie. That exactly. That's what I was about to say. With the exception of that performance, I don't generally like him. Like I hate. Um, the Charlie Sheen show. Two with him. and wasn't he in something else? Two men and. Well, that's the Charlie Sheen show. Oh, um, sorry. That then Ashton uh, Kutcher was on like the later episodes. Um, Two and a half men, I think. Was yes. What it was called. Yeah, I, I okay. can't stand that show. Um, and I like sitcoms. That's like I am a normal proponent of sitcoms, and I hate that sitcom. But nonetheless, um, that. I'd say I, I really like this movie. I can definitely see why it won Best Picture. Um, and I, I think there's some really strong performances. Some... I don't know if there's positive messages, but there's... There is an underlying message that I think is important. And um, I'd say it's positive once you can get to it, but it does take a little while. It is on the nose. Like, they tell you what the message is, but um, it makes sense how they tell you. So, that's my take. Corey, would you say similar or different yeah similar except i don't know how ready i'm not as ready as you are to rewatch it well keep in mind my first time it's been five years or more since i watched it so okay. this time I, i'm more inclined to watch it and i think i am looking at it as a potential like i could see teaching this because i think this is something a lot of my students um can go through like or or maybe not not to the same extent but you know the idea of misplaced guilt on, on oneself um i think is a common issue with youth so um with that i think it's time for spoilers i feel like i need a sound bite um <laughs> so go check out ordinary people if you haven't seen it from 1980 from this point forward we'll be talking about it in great detail so we might spoil some of it for you if that's not a concern, full steam ahead. Now, Corey, you don't have to sound off on what I'm about to say, but if you would like to, I would encourage it. I have a crazy-ass mother. I don't really like my mother, and people sometimes judge me for that, and that's fine if that's what you think, but you don't know my mother. And if you think you know my mother, you don't. And if you are agreeing with me, then you do know my mother because that's the only way this conversation can go. Because my mom is awful in a lot of ways, and I'm sure I'm gonna, I'm sure she listens to this, and I'm sure this is gonna backfire on me for mentioning it. But either way, I see crazy mom in this movie so much and relate to feeling helpless about it. Now I don't. I won't say that my mom is this woman, mind you, because I wouldn't say my mom doesn't love me. I would say maybe she loves crazily in a, in a way that is smothering and ridiculous. But this mother, I, I just, I, I wrote down Mary Tyler Moore is evil in this movie. And she doesn't really do anything, but just just the attitude she puts out there is so screwed up to me. And I don't know how else to say it but evil. So I 
don't talk about my personal life a lot, but this is something that I appreciate about you, and I think this is why we're friends, because I don't think that either of us would ever tell somebody that they need to be a part of someone's life or have them be a part of their life just because they're related. Yes. Like, that does not, that doesn't hold any whatever to either of us, I think. Nope. Um, like, I haven't talked to my mom or my dad or my brother in nine years. I'm like, with you. Not one word. Like I, and I think that that was something here too. Like that, no matter what you do, it's just never good enough. Yeah, big that time. That really fucking hit home. Excuse my language. Yeah, but, that's a rare f bomb from Corey, there, folks. But we do have the explicit marking on this podcast. So, um, yeah, I, I totally agree. It, it it resonates very much um, for me too. Like this idea that yeah, you can't you can't make somebody understand or and again it's not necessarily love it's just sometimes people just refuse to see things from your point of view and won't accept the truth no matter how many times you try to give it to them and it's ridiculous and i don't really feel like she does love her younger son in this i don't even feel like she loves her husband and i don't think that that necessarily had anything to do with her oldest son's death like i feel like no unrelated that was sure that was just like the breaking point or where it just becomes too much. There's like no going back. I love the way they slowly let you know what's happened in the story. Cause you don't know that, um, you have Timothy Hutton plays the lead, um, Conrad and he's, he is the younger brother. Who's as the movie slowly lets you find out that he's recently tried to kill himself. We don't even know exactly how long ago it was that he attempted the murder. I don't think, or not the murder the suicide, um, we know he's out of the hospital and people are, it, it, it's recently out of the hospital from the, the gathering, maybe like a month since he's been out of the hospital, but it, I don't think they ever say how long he's in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say somewhere between six months to a year. I think it's two years since his brother died. And I'm guessing on that. Cause again, I don't think it outright says it. Mm-mm. Um, and if it does, I apologize, but, um, and he tried to kill himself. He says he used like a, a Bic razor or a blue razor or something to try to slit his wrist. And you see the marks on his wrist later. Um, but they take so take their time in a good way to like kind of gradually reveal these little things. Like at first we see there's tension in the beginning, but you don't know why. And it gradually starts to reveal that oh man, he tried to kill himself. And then, you know, you get a little bit more, a little bit more, and then he starts finding to go to the psychiatrist, which is, again, Judd Hirsch uh, as Dr. Berger, and his dad is so much kind. Like, Donald Sutherland is so caring and kind in this movie. I, I just absolutely love this character. I do, too. Um, it's, they're such, such opposites, but um, I love also they're showing like everyone else around them and how they're trying to interact with this family. And like, it shows him going to high school and being on the swim team and, you know, having these popular friends that are athletes and he's an athlete and none of them know really how to, you know what I mean? Everyone just acts like it doesn't never happened. And like, they try not to, I guess they feel like they're going to just set him off or something. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like everybody tiptoes around him and he doesn't want that at all, but uh. yeah. And you know, he is, he is trying to act like everything is fine. And, uh, it's, it's so there's, 
there's so many great scenes in this movie i think um he's a swimmer and then we when we finally find out that he, him and his brother uh they were sailing and the boat t- capsizes and they're they're hanging on for dear life there's it's a storm um and the brother lets go and drowns and um conrad plays rose and is hanging on to the boat um and when when dr Berger finally breaks him and gets him to tell him the story um one i love conrad says something like um i, th- I thought he'd be more careful and the doctor says bad things happen even when people are careful and i love that quote because i am always trying to prevent things from going wrong like physically whatever you know and um because i'm so afraid of something bad happening yet even when you're careful things can go wrong and i as as simple as that is it's like it's not like it's super amazing like thought-provoking statement but i just felt like some of this this stuff is things that i think everyone feels sometimes this despair this uh maybe even like resentment and a lot of what dr Berger says again as as straightforward as it is it's refreshing to hear it articulated you know because those things like we we know that when you plan it doesn't guarantee everything will go right but it's reassuring to hear that from somebody else mm-hmm. totally agree and then that that big reveal is like um when he, he conrad's like not saying it at first but he's like um he says you just do one wrong thing and then the doctor says what was the wrong thing you did and the kid sits there for a moment i hung on i stayed with the boat that's like the wrong thing is that he didn't die and that's survivor's guilt at, at its finest and that's he he feels guilty because his brother died and i love like the doctor's like you have to accept that maybe you were stronger than him because he always looked up to his brother his brother was the hero every he was the popular one he was the star athlete and he he wasn't jealous of his brother he loved his brother and so that's the crazy stuff and he's mad at his brother for for letting go he's like you're supposed to be the better one why did you die you're not supposed to die and when that reveal happens and that's very late in the movie when that reveal happens but man it hits home like so well i the emotions in this movie are earned so much because that's sometimes it's an expression like a movie will make you cry but it doesn't feel earned like they just all of a sudden a sad scene happens everything builds to that reveal in this movie and it's so effective and so you know it's a gut punch that you kind of saw coming but like you've been waiting for conrad to see it or at least admit it and when he finally does there's like a lot of catharsis just like he's going through he's feeling better because he's finally admitting the stuff and man for me it was just like yes say it you know that's what you're feeling like i was i just really really appreciate this movie and how it how it takes its time building this character's internal conflict um there's the external conflict with the mother and with the father but the father conflict is very different the father's conflict is a worried parent trying to figure out how to take care of his son that he does view as fragile and um and also keep his marriage together because he knows his wife is off but he's trying to keep the uh the nuclear family alive you know I thought, um, I also liked the little details, like the son was worried about the money to go to the psychiatrist, and his dad says, don't worry about that. This family obviously has money. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and then there's we end up finding out that the only reason that Conrad like survived is because his father just so happened to be home or be coming home when it you know after he did that Mm -hmm. and his wife like keeps pushing and pushing and pushing for them to go away and he doesn't want to go away for Christmas even though that's what they do every year because Conrad is and I keep wanting to call him Connie (laughs) yeah (laughs) well the dad calls him Connie yeah and also in Mad Men there's Conrad Hilton and they call him Connie um but like she wants to go away and he doesn't want to disrupt him and that if he doesn't do this now he might not ever do it and she just pushes and pushes and pushes and then they finally decide to leave him alone at home and i'm like why would that be why do you think that's a good idea at all yeah i just felt like oh she was so selfish when they're on the golf course and she snaps at him um there's a lot of foreshadowing like there's a part when the grandparents are at the house and she they get into the, the picture we want to take a picture of, of the mom and, and Connie, and she's just not okay with taking a picture with her son, which is so upsetting because everyone else doesn't seem to get it except for her and Connie. And Connie finally snaps, like, she doesn't want to take a dang picture, you know, or whatever. Give her the dang camera. And that scene is so intense. But then the next scene, uh, she's in the kitchen preparing a, a plate breaks, and it's split perfectly down the middle. And it's very foreshadowed because she's like, it's it's split, but it's fixed. I think it's fixable. I think we can save it. And she's talking about, I think, the marriage there, too. You know, like, the family's split, but I think it's fixable. But it's not because the thing that's split is that you don't love your son and your husband does. And, and mm. yeah, no, go ahead. I also love at the end, well, I, yeah, it's at the end, where he finally just tells her. Doesn't he say that he doesn't know if he loves her anymore? Mm-hmm. And then she finally gets in the car and leaves and goes back to Texas. Well, you see, the when Connie comes home from, um, I think it's the, from the big, he has the big revelation with the doctor where it looks like he might, he finds out that his friend from the hospital killed herself. And that sets him off, like, on a downward spiral because he thought she was okay. And the doctor, thank goodness, answers his phone, meets him in the thing. We have that big revelation. He's out all night because of it. And he goes over to um, Janine's house the next morning, who I love the little relationship with Janine. I think it's it's so cute. Um, I think that she is – I loved her too. Mm. Yeah, and the little – like, the connection they seem to make. And he goes to her house, and she invites him in for breakfast. So when he comes home finally – which is funny because he comes home and the parents aren't like worried where have you been all night or anything, but whatever. Um, he hugs the mom, and I don't think you've ever seen anyone look more uncomfortable than that hug. Like she doesn't touch him back at all; she just no. like sits there. And... Yeah, and the the face she makes is so clear that she's not okay with it. You know, and there is it. I can't remember what point at, in what part of the movie she says well what mother doesn't love her son but i don't feel like she i think because even when um donald sutherland asks her about love she says i feel the same way i always have for you not i love you i feel the same way i always have for you it's almost like she's a sociopath like you know, i like, can coexist i can cohabitate yeah, with you i, like, I you have money and you are a kind man, you're a handsome man, so I have f- this feeling for you. Whatever this feeling is called, I don't know, but I have this, and that and has not changed. 
And there are other parts in the movie where um, I... So let's go back to Janine for a minute because I love that she's like the only person like out of all of his friends and all of his peers that ask him about it and want to talk about it. Yes. And like... And I just felt like she was such a real character because she, like, does dumb stuff when she gets nervous and then she apologizes about it later. And mm-hmm. um, she's like, oh, well, that that was kind of, you know, that was kind of jerk of jerkish of me. But there – oh, Jesus, I just lost my train of thought. Well, I agree, though. Janine's great. And I love that he takes – her on a little McDonald's date because it's such a product placement in this old movie because the freaking kids, the his friends or whatever, come in and singing the McDonald's theme song of the time. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, what a commercial inside of this movie. Like, <laughs> well, that's but, how we got the funding. I'm kidding. Probably. It could be, though, for real, because it's only one scene, but, oh. I mean, they're in McDonald's for a while. And back to how everyone is, like, around them, they... Conrad and I'm forgetting the dad's name right now, but um, they both Calvin. They both want to talk about it, and they're not trying to hide it. And they go to a dinner party. Beth and Calvin do, and he's like talking about Connie's going to see this doctor, and mm-hmm. you know all these different things. And she's like so ashamed, and yeah. it just becomes like this embarrassing thing. And I don't know how anyone would want to be married to her. Yeah, but I love. I actually love that scene too because the way he edits it. That we like, we kind of jump cut to these like, you know, random moments of the party. Just you know that the the platitudes just going through all those motions of like a social gathering. Because before twice we hear, uh, Con not Conrad, um, Calvin, Calvin say like he doesn't want it. he oh with these people and blah, blah blah. He even tries to like, hey maybe we can just skip this and go to a movie. Like which I'm and like I yeah, we were really gonna go to the movie. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like it, but no, because that's not her way. Because she is very much about her appearance because even later she's uh when she finds out that connie quit swimming she finds out from her friend and she's mad because she's embarrassed that a mother doesn't know this about her son it's not like she asked you know like she never asked him how is swimming you know he's told she never her some asks stuff. him anything nope it's like, all motherly like like i bought you some shirts i you know it's always these fake kind of like acts of of love that aren't actual love you know like She's trying to keep the facade of being a good mother up without actually being affectionate or caring towards her son. That was perfectly said. And isn't that Connie's, uh, not Connie, but the older son's bedroom that they meet at in at some point in the movie? Yeah. And he's already in there, and then she comes in there. Other and... way around. She's in there, and he he walks by the door and scares her. Oh, okay. And, okay. I just feel like they did a really good job. With. Yeah, I, I, I'm really still like kind of blown away at how good this movie is because it is, um, you know, it's such a tough subject. And again, I, I love how he chose. Um, it should know. It's written by. It's a novel, first of all, by Judith Guest, but then it's uh, Alvin Sargent and Nancy Dowd, who's listed as uncredited, but she's credited here, are the um, screenwriters. And you know, I just. I'm so impressed with like how the story's revealed because um, again a lot of movies I think we would have started off with the boating accident and then like faded to black into the funeral and then fade to black and it, now he's killing himself and now fade to black he's in the hospital you know there's so many ways you could have done this but instead you you start off with this normal affluent family we just see ordinary people right doing their normal ordinary things 
and gradually we start to peel back those layers and see the truth of who these people are and that they aren't all together and it's not this perfect picturesque family um you know and it was not like there's anything crazy either it's not like we peel it back and we find out they're all murderers or they're you know what i mean it's just they don't know how to deal with these real problems because they're so worried about their outward appearance of looking perfect and i think that is it's just man it's just a really compelling film and it's it's a very serious drama and i i love uh i think connie's a really cool character and i again i love calvin as his father i love um what i want to say about the ending is keep in mind that it's robert redford as a director um, it's 1980, and there is a trend. If we look through a lot of movies, men are portrayed as emotionless and incapable of like having love, like showing love to another man, especially like to a, a grown son, right? And the way this movie ends, um, I don't like that the woman is the bad guy because I do think that is far too often a problem in in Hollywood movies that we paint the women as the villains, and she is definitely the villain in this movie. Um, not that she did anything directly wrong, but she definitely does stuff wrong. And But the hug between the father and son that we end on that, um, I just think is so powerful because it is, they are both crying. They tell each other they love each other. And I think that's refreshing for a 1980s film to see it being okay for a man to cry. Like I think it's, in today's time, I think it's much more acceptable. But it took so much to make it okay for men to cry. And there's still this toxic masculinity mindset that you you can't express feelings if you're a male um it's wrong to be sad it's wrong to show weakness and i i hate that um and i obviously i talk about myself crying on this podcast all the time so i don't abide by that old mentality but to me seeing that in this movie from 1980 was unbelievably refreshing and i wish i'd seen this when i was a kid so maybe i wouldn't have thought for you know 20 years that it's not okay to cry and I still will uh, try to not cry when I'm about to cry because it's still unbecoming, you know, but some movies just break me like wonder and won't you be my neighbor? My God, I cried so many times. And won't you be my neighbor? I just want to buy it already. And, and the Fred Rogers stamps came out today and I didn't oh. even have a chance to stop at the post office and you can't buy them on USPS.com. So I'm a little upset about that, but yeah, I might have to go, uh, get me some of those um well i don't have anything else to say about this movie other than i very much like it um do you have anything else you want to say before we give our ratings no and i don't well i don't know if i totally agree with you that women are always painted to be the villains because i think in these type of family situations i feel Mm. like men are usually I, i i should clarify i didn't i didn't mean in these type of movies um, I, th- I guess I meant from a male perspective, women are often, you know, painted as like, especially like with marriage issues, like the woman's the problem. She's going to take really? it for all I got. Well, oh. I guess I mean, like the, from the male point of view, there are constantly bashing the woman and saying the women are, are evil. They're they're just want my money. That kind of you know what I mean, like not to say there aren't conflicting opinions or points of view. Mm-hmm. I just feel like. I'm uh, maybe I'm more aware when like guys will say something like oh you're whipped and things like that you know what I mean um mm-hmm. but those aren't the kind of people that we need to spend our time with e- exactly yeah um 
No, and I haven't seen a lot of Mary Tyler Moore, and I like kind of seeing her in this because I feel like um, what I have seen of the Mary Tyler Moore show, she's like super upbeat and super pumped and super, mm-hmm. you know. So I thought it was interesting to have her in this type of role. Big time, for sure. I haven't read any of the trivia on like why he cast her, but I am kind of curious because it's definitely against type from what I know of her. I could be wrong. Maybe she's in a bunch of movies where she plays this type of character, and I just don't know them. Um, but my understanding of her is she is very much the uh, the lovable kind of scamp, you know, of the like her show ends with her like tossing her beret in the air and freeze framing like. It's an iconic kind of, you know, image. And that's not the woman you get in this movie. <laughs> Definitely not. So, I well, wonder if this was anyone's introduction to her. But go ahead. Do you want to give your rating first? I am kind of torn. Um, I guess I'll go with Not Quite Golden Pony Boy. I can see that. I'm going to go Must See. Um... I think this story, I mean, again, I, I was drawn to this story because of the script that I was trying to write. And while it wasn't the same, I do have a, I don't know. I like a lot about this movie. I think there's a lot of cool stuff in it. Um, I think I do like the therapy. In fact, my movie also had a therapist and a character connecting to it. Um, there's a, there's an M night Shyamalan type of twist in mine, but, um, it, it, it actually paralleled this film quite a bit, and I think there's something about this type of story that I just click with. So for me, it's a must-see, and it's definitely a film I think I'm going to uh, end up showing my, my students at some point. I don't know for sure if I'll make it this year, but I do want to teach this film um, to some degree. So, um, so must-see for me, not quite golden for Corey. Let's look ahead to next week, Corey. I don't know if you know what we're watching, but I do. I'm the and, worst. Um... It's for I've never seen this one. I don't know if you have or not, but it's a year before. So this movie, uh, Ordinary People, came out in 1980. This movie came out in 1979. So that means it won the Best Picture in 1980. And it's Kramer versus Kramer. No, but I wanted to see this. Well, this movie, I think, is going to uh, be very tough. And I am pretty sure it's supposed to paint the picture of Damn. the wife as the villain again. Um, Dustin Hoffman, Meryl Streep, uh, Jane Alexander, Justin Henry, Howard Duff, George Coe, I might be, uh, it's gotta be Coe, Joe Beth Williams, Bill Moore, um, directed by Robert Benton, and I'm gonna pull up the awards, because I know it won, it won five Oscars, uh, it won Best Picture for Stanley R. Jaff, um, mm. Best Winner for Best Actor in a Leading Role for Dustin Hoffman, uh, best actor in a supporting role. Wow, I can't believe she's supporting Meryl Streep, um, which I think that might have been her first Oscar. Um, Oscar winner, best director for Robert Benton, and best screenplay. So, a very heavily awarded film. I bought this in a Meryl Streep four pack uh, about six months ago at Dollar General, and yes. um, I have been meaning to watch this for a while now. It does have a lower meta score. It has a seventy-seven. But it has the same, I think, IMDb score of 7.8. Um, and the premise, and this is going to be another tough watch, I think. Ted Kramer's wife leaves her husband, allowing for her lost for a lost bond to be rediscovered between Ted and his son, Billy. But a heated custody battle ensues over the divorced couple's son, um, deepening the wounds left by the separation. And so it sounds really tough. Um, it's rated PG, but this is before PG-13 was a thing. 
and it's uh, under two hours, actually. It's only an hour and 45 I minutes. I was just seeing that. 105 minutes. I'll take it. Um, also, sorry? Oh, sorry. You went minutes. I went hour. I'm sorry. My yes. I heard, no, you're good. I, I heard I hour and five minutes. I was like, 45 minutes, Corey. Not an hour and five minutes. I was <laughs> sorry. Like, Wait a minute. She um, said 105. Yes. Um, I was just reading a little bit on Wikipedia because I love Wikipedia. Um, <coughs> that Meryl Streep was not the first person that was offered this role. Oh, who Apparently, was? Apparently Kate Jackson, who was appearing in Charlie's Angels at the time, and Aaron Spelling, ha ha ha, that of Tori Spelling, um, said they couldn't like rearrange the shooting for her to be in the oh, film. Interesting. Oh. It was then offered to various other actresses, Faye Dunaway, Jane Fonda, and Allie McGraw, who all wow. turned it down. Well, it's supposed to be pretty tough, and if I, I believe I've read or heard stories that Dustin Hoffman was very method and was like a complete ass to her on the set of this movie. Um, and uh, it's actually been a part of some of the debates of whether it's okay, like how far to take a role where you're like you're actually making the other person uncomfortable. And obviously, most people are against that idea. But and this is one of Meryl Streep's earliest films. Um, she, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven credits before this one only. So we're going back to early Streep. And I am a big fan of hers having not seen actually two of her bigger early movies. I've not seen uh, Deer Hunter, Manhattan, or Kramer vs. Kramer, which I own all three. I just have not watched any of them. So um, I got a lot of Meryl Streep to catch up with. I've seen Same. a lot of her movies from the 90s and 2000s, but uh, none of those. So... So that will be our episode next week, folks. We'll be back to talk about Kramer versus Kramer and uh, how much we like Dustin Hoffman or Meryl Streep in this movie um, and how we feel about this movie. I don't know. This might be one that we don't like because of the subject matter, or it might be that it's just so great it doesn't matter about the subject matter. We'll find out. But um, until next time, folks, uh, we will be re releasing a new episode of Top 5 Movies this week. Um, we've got some new interview episodes going to be coming up soon. Please read all of our reviews at BurkeReviews.com. We post as many as we can. I'll be posting quite a few this week. Um, go back and peruse my South by Southwest reviews. Uh, I saw 20 movies while at South by, plus three or four screeners. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff from South by that will be coming out uh, intermittently throughout the year. So you want to know what's good when it's coming out to VOD and whatnot. My, my reviews are a good place to find out. So BurkeReviews.com for that. Um, subscribe to our other podcasts. We have a uh, bloody awesome movie podcast and thinking about, um, so thank you for listening, Corey. I look forward to talking to you about Kramer versus Kramer. Bye. Have a good spring break. Thank you. And folks keep watching movies. This has been a Burke reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com. Hey everyone, it's John Burke. You know how much I love movies. And if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you love movies too. And what we do here at Burke Reviews costs a little bit of money. It doesn't cost a fortune or anything, but none of us are rich. And that's where you come in. You can support BurkeReviews.com by either subscribing to our Patreon, where you can give a set amount to us monthly, a dollar, three dollars, five dollars, and ten dollars. And we're not asking you to just give us your money you get perks for uh, signing up on our patreon you can go over to patreon.com slash burke reviews and see exactly what those perks are you can go to burke and click on the patreon link and it'll take you right there 
Um, but if you're not willing to commit to a monthly donation, which we totally understand, there's an option to just donate one time. Uh, if you go to BurkeReviews.com, on the right side of the page, you're going to see a donate button. And through PayPal, you can donate us any amount of money you wish um, for doing that. We will read your name on our uh, the next episode of the podcast, whether it's Burke Reviews Movie Club or Top 5 Movies after the donation is made. Um, with uh, our truthful, heartfelt thanks. Um, not to mention that one of the the perks of being a subscriber is you get um, your name on our website as a uh, supporter of BurkeReviews.com. Um, it's hard to believe it's already been two in, two years and we're into year three already. Um, you know, we love what we do and we hope you love it too. So thanks for listening. Um, thanks for the support. And back to this podcast. <laughs>